Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, this might be an odd way to start this message, especially here on Christmas with so many new faces who are tuning in, but um, here goes nothing. I am obsessed with what people think of me. I desperately want people to, to like me. In fact, and this was actually a little bit sobering for me to think about as, as I was preparing this message, uh, there is very little that I do or say that isn't motivated by what others think of me or, again, what they might think of me. Virtually everything in my life, when I really dig deep, is motivated by this question of what will they think of me? What will my friend think? What will my wife think? What will my coworker think? What will my boss think? What will that random person over there who I've never met before pumping gas think? And, and here's why I'm willing to, to admit this out loud. What, why, why I'm willing to confess this to literally hundreds of people right now, many of whom I don't really have any level of relational equity with. Um, I'm not alone. Meaning, unless you are some special person that maybe comprises roughly 0.00001% of the population, chances are that that this is true of you as well. Think about it, and I'm going to try and reveal to us how how deeply this, this runs. Why are you, for instance, wearing the outfit that you literally have on right now? Is it, is it because you like really like it? Because it's like the most comfortable clothing in your closet? Because it's like your favorite outfit of all time? Chances are, no, you put that outfit on because you thought somebody you might see today might think that you look good in those clothes, right? Why do you drive the vehicle that you drive? Is it because it was the most economical choice for you and perhaps your family? Because you did copious amounts of research and you figured out that it was the best vehicle for the environment and also one of the most inexpensive to repair? Or is it maybe because you liked how it looked and thought others would like how you looked driving it? Right? Like keeping up with the Joneses. Think about this. I I will sometimes go to get food at places that I don't even like as much as some of the alternatives because of how I think I might be perceived eating, say, McDonald's or, or even worse, like what if somebody sees me eating Burger King? Like what a dirt ball. Or, or how about this one? This is about to get very, very real up in this place right now. There are times (laughs) where I will very carefully choose my steps and my words when I'm around other people, when I need to go use the restroom to make it seem like I wasn't just in the bathroom for like 10, 15 minutes because I'm worried how other people might think of me and what they might think of me if they know that I just had to go take a bowel movement. And I'm worried that like, if you knew that like I was literally just parked in the bathroom for 10 minutes, that you might somehow think less of me as if we live in a world where I'm the only one who goes number two. Y'all are probably laughing right now, but you laugh because come on, you do the exact same thing. That, 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 by the way, is what I do every single week from this stage. I just kind of tell all of you the stuff that you already know. Well, welcome to Grumlaw. So, so, so come on, let, let's say it together. I am obsessed with what people think of me. 
That, that feels like a good place to stop. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, no, seriously. Let, let, let's pry just a little bit more. What, what is that? Where does that come from? What is at the core of, of this obsession with what other people think of us? Well, I think you all probably know because you're smart people and pe- people have been on to this since the beginning of time. It's, it's a rather precarious five-letter word. You ready for it, right? Pride. It's this deep satisfaction in, in your own achievements and anything that might undermine those achievements. There's this feeling that the world operates around you, that you are the center of, of the universe, It's what takes little joy in others and their accomplishments and and instead turns the entire focus on oneself. It's pride that's at the root of our most sinister and well-hidden thoughts. It's pride that delights when when others fail. It's pride that arouses jealousy when when others succeed. It's pride that is at the root of all our selfishness and makes selflessness so difficult. And because pride runs so rampant amongst humanity, particularly in our first world countries where we have robust technology like social media fueling it. In fact, let's park there for a quick second. I mean, why, if you do, why do you have social media? Why does social media even exist? Is it so that people might have an accurate look into your mind and into your life? Of course not. Social media is literally a pride-fueling machine. Post the highlights of your life in the perfect lighting with the perfect filters so that you can get all the likes, get all the comments to fuel that pride and ego. Slay, girl, you look so good. Dang, they're so cute. Oh my gosh, where did you get that? I need this. Or, or in my world, nice buck, Shay, congrats. So, so, so because pride is so rampant and as a result has become so acceptable, when anything or anyone comes along with even the slightest whiff of, of humility, generally speaking, let's be honest, it's, it's met with suspicion. We don't really celebrate said humility, we, we tear it down. We attempt to figure out what is it that they're hiding. Uh, my wife and I have a, a very close friend, for instance, that, that's one of those people, one of those rare people that you meet that is just like covered in humility to the point that, again, other people usually are trying to figure out like what's going on there. And, and in fact, people will routinely ask me and my wife because they know that we're so close to her that they'll ask questions like, seriously, what's her deal? Jay, I can just tell there's just something a little off about her. Jay, I just want to let you know my, my guard is up about her. I'm like, okay, good to know. She's just so fake. When, when in reality, you're just getting a dose of something that has become such a rarity that again, it's immediately met with suspicion. It's, it's kind of sad, right? But, but come on, here's what we all know. That the reason we usually attack humility and, and attempt to discredit humility is because deep down, we, we wish we had more of it. Come on, we can admit it right now, at least to ourselves. We're, we're kind of jealous. We're, we're drawn to it. We can't really explain it, but there's something inside of us that instinctively whispers, I want that. It, it's sort of like when a friend gets like the exact car that you've been wanting for years and you haven't been too shy about telling other people that you want this vehicle. And now like when your friend gets it, you're suddenly pointing out like all the drawbacks, like, you know, the, the, the MPG is pretty lousy on those things. I heard the transmissions on those burn up at about 120K. That, that, that truck just ain't what it used to be. They're making all those parts overseas now. It's like, what the heck? Like yesterday you were telling me about how great it was. So, so on the outside, criticism, pick it apart. Inside, ugh, I, I want that. 
true, genuine, others-focused humility, we, we tend to pick it apart. But on the inside, even for the most arrogant, obsessed with what others think of us people watching right now, there's something inside of us going, I want that. You not only want more of it for yourself, but come on, isn't it true that you want more of it for the people around you? You, you want your spouse to be more humble, your kids to be more humble, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. I mean, for some of you, just think about this. Can you even imagine the dynamic that would change in your life and in the life of your family if, let's just say, your mom or your dad made that the singular pursuit of their lives? To pursue humility above all else. See, we all especially want more humility from those in positions of authority. Parents, political leaders, bosses, HOA presidents, teachers, pastors. In fact, in Jim Collins' rather famous book, Good to Great, he set out to figure out if there was a common denominator for leaders who oversee the most successful companies. And for most of us, at least I think, we would probably assume that that preeminent quality, if there was one, would be something like charisma or, or great public speaking sp skills or just sheer confidence or maybe decisiveness. And, and as it would turn out, he, he does find what that common denominator is. There was one. And guess what it is? Humility. T to which, and this brings us to who we're supposed to be talking about on Christmas, to which Jesus would likely reply like, you had, you had to do research for that? Didn't, didn't I already show you that when I was on this earth? See, roughly 2,000 years ago, well, rather than me describe it, let's just allow scripture to tell us. We're told the word, that is God, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, it doesn't look like anybody's jaw just hit the floor. Or the comments are lighting up. So, so allow me to, to drive this home in more practical terms. What this passage is communicating to us, because there's a lot packed into that statement of God made his dwelling among us. Later in Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Philippi, he encourages followers of Jesus to follow the example laid out to us by Jesus himself. There he writes, in your relationships with one another, that is all of us, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And it's like, well, what is Christ Jesus's mindset? He says, well, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, these two passages are attempting to help us understand what Christ did when he humbled himself, when he came down to this earth and made his dwelling among us. It would be like you or I becoming a goldfish, living in the tiny bowl that goldfishes live in, and then trying to help the other goldfish next to us in the bowl become more like lions. That The God of the universe, our creator, the eternal son of God, light of light, very God of very God, one with the father, humbled himself, think about this, to spend nine months developing in Mary's uterus. I mean, most of us haven't thought through these types of details, but God subjected himself to passing through a birthing canal. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He who calls the stars by name, he literally created them, had to learn the names of everything just as you and I did, 
Jesus, this is a tree. Can you say tree? Tree. For generations, his generous hand fed every creature on earth. Now he has to rely on someone else to sustain his life. Someone had to teach Jesus how to tie those sandals that John the Baptist said none of us were worthy to untie. Imagine the absurdity of Jesus learning how to hammer and saw and work in the workshop with his earthly father, Joseph, when he was the very one who hung entire galaxies in such perfect position. The humility is beyond words. Even more absurd when we take into the context elsewhere in scripture where we're offered details like the following, this being a prophecy offered to us by Daniel. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, a title that Jesus would frequently use for himself, coming with the clouds of heaven. He opposed the ancient of days, that is God himself, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That right there is a description of the coronation of Jesus, one of the most triumphant moments in history. And that God, knowing that all of that awaits him, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that God would freely, willingly take on the limitations of human flesh. Jesus wasn't faking it. So often when we think of Jesus's time on this earth, we just sort of instinctively think that he cheated his human experience. That yeah, okay, he was a human, but the minute he wanted to turn on those powers, I mean, the minute he got hungry, bam, Chick-fil-A on his table. The, the minute he got a stomach bug, bam, he was instantly healed. Not the case. He, he experienced all that is humanity, just like you and I. He who never tires, never slumbers, accepted the need for sleep every night. Jesus ate every day because he needed to. He trimmed his toenails and his fingernails. I mean, just think of the humility of simply getting from one place to the next by walking. All throughout the gospel accounts, the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus, there are these statements like, then he traveled to Capernaum, then he traveled to Nazareth, then he traveled to this place. And we just kind of skip right on past it and we overlook the fact that in some cases, this was four or five week-long journeys by foot. The omnipresent was suddenly in an instant merely present. One place at a time, just like all of us. No cheat codes, no magical powers. Human, with all of its limitations, just like you and I. The almighty God. He, he would choose this as his grand entrance into the world. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. God in the flesh was literally born in a barn and placed in a feeding trough as a sort of makeshift crib. Now think of how this compares with almost anyone else who set out to change the world. People like Nebuchadnezzar and Nero, Charlemagne, Saddam Hussein, Chairman Mao, even U.S. presidents. The self-obsession, self-exaltation, the desire to be praised is nauseating. Yet the only king who ever had a right to be worshipped shows up in a barn to absolutely no fanfare. And as it would turn out, Jesus' original audience was apparently just like us because most would meet Jesus' humble arrival 
with nothing but skepticism and, and suspicion. In Matthew chapter 11, it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, hey, are you the one who is to come or, or should we expect someone else? Keep in mind that this was literally the individual who was tasked with paving the way for Jesus. And he's still leaning in going, uh, are you the guy? A couple of verses later, Jesus speaking of himself, he says, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. He's like, I can't win with you people. I'm performing miracles. I'm giving you all these signs, but still you're looking at me and pointing out all the faults that you see in my ministry. Matthew chapter 13, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't those over there his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Where did he learn all this stuff? And rather than embracing him, they, they took offense at him. John six sixty six. from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Because initially everybody was on board with the miracle worker, the guys whose teachings were so incredible. But the minute that he started to say things that were hard to receive, people were just like, out, it can't be the Messiah. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. So here, right before them, these religious men watch a miracle take place. A person who had been paralyzed for an entire life is suddenly up and walking about. And rather than receiving that, embracing that, celebrating their Lord and Savior standing in front of them, again, skepticism. And then our most famous example, he said to Thomas, doubting Thomas, as he has been dubbed, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Despite all the skepticism, there was still something enigmatic about Jesus. People were, were still drawn to him. There was something that, that kept people coming back for more, something inside people that like today whispers, I, I want that. Jesus, the, the humble king. And during the entirety of his time on this earth, he doesn't reveal even the slightest hint of pride. I mean, Read it for yourself. It's all humility all the time. From his birth to his baptism. I mean, think about that event in and of itself. He literally stands in line like a guy waiting at the deli counter for his number to be called. His ministry, even his eventual death. In one of the greatest acts of humility, come on, he decides to include us. Rather than a focus on himself, I mean, the only person who had every right to do so, he, he turns the focus on you and I. C can you honestly think of anything marked more by humility? E even though, think about this, even though we screwed things up so royally the first time around, I mean, we are the ones who rebelled, we sinned, we are the ones who thought our way was better than his. The creation rebelling against the creator Despite all that, he says, come on, you're, you're included in this. In fact, I'm, I'm here for you. He shares the stage. He shares the spotlight. He, he shares his glory. 
In fact, we're privy to one of the conversations that he has with his heavenly father where he literally says, I have given them, that is followers of Jesus, the glory that you gave me, that, that they may be one as we are one. He's saying in private to his heavenly father what he had demonstrated throughout his time on this earth. Jesus would continue never wavering for a second to, to leverage his authority for the benefit of those under his authority, which happens to be all of us. In the most beautiful stroke of humility that this world has ever known and will ever know, we're told, for God so loved the world that he did what? He, he gave his one and only son, that whoever, and again, that includes you, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. By the way, it's worth noting that this right here, that statement in what is arguably the most popular passage of scripture in the entire Bible, it comes right on the heels of a conversation that Jesus is having with one of the most religious people that he would encounter during his time on this earth that just could not get his head around the idea that God in the flesh might literally be standing right in front of him. That the humility was wrecking him. But, but, but church, let's reflect for a moment on the humility of what we just read that you and I get that right standing back with God, not by what we do, right? It's not our behavior, past, present, or future, but merely our belief, our, our faith. Faith alone in, in Christ alone. Nowhere else in our lives do we get to experience that type of unconditional, no strings attached, humble kind of love. I mean, even with my wife, I'm thinking forward here to, to Christmas Day. When I give her a gift because I love her, and I do, it still, if I'm being honest, is sort of a response to how she has treated me. And again, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this out loud. I'm kind of expecting something in return. Even with my kids, when I give them Christmas presents, and honestly, they have no way, right? They're seven, six, four, and one. They have no way of monetarily paying back, nor do they have any ability to even purchase me a present there's still something inside of me that says they, they better tell me thank you and they better at least give me a hug. But, but Jesus, our, our humble king comes along and says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not from you. It's a gift from me, not by works. So, so, so nobody can boast. I'm about to step on Easter here just a little bit. But, but I don't care because I don't think you could talk about the manger without at least mentioning the cross. Do, do y'all remember the, those two guys next to Jesus on the cross? He's got one on the right, one on the left. There's, there's one guy that's mocking him and the other guy that's, that's standing up for him. And Jesus, because of this man's faith, and honestly, it's like kind of the quintessential example of what we see described in John chapter three, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he would give his one and only son that whoever, including the guy next to him, literally on the cross, whoever believes in him will not perish. But he says, hey, like truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. You are going to experience eternal life. I mean, humility, when you think about it, on the grandest of display. Jesus, rather than in that moment, thinking of himself, which I think he had every right to do. I mean, he's in agony of spirit, agony of physical pain. I mean, he literally has nails driven through his ankles, driven through his wrists. He has this crown wedged onto his head with thorns sticking into his skull. In that moment, he's still thinking about others. 
And, and this guy who, oh, by the way, for 99.9% of his life did everything to deserve death and nothing to deserve eternity, that guy is suddenly in? I mean, did, did he even know Jesus's name? Let's for a moment think about this guy like five seconds on the other side of eternity. And he goes rolling on up to the gates of heaven. There's a pretty long line and he's waiting his turn and eventually gets to the front of the line and there's kind of like this minimum wage like angel guard standing in there. He's looking at his clipboard and he's kind of just going through the motion. He's like, okay, uh, t- tell me why you're here. And the guy who literally just moments ago was on a cross next to Jesus is like, I, I don't know. And the guy's like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you don't know? It's a simple question. Why are you here? And the guy's like, I, I don't even know where here is. And the guard's like, well, how did you, where did, how, how did you find your, I, I gotta go get my supervisor. And he turns around and he goes and gets the supervisor angel. Supervisor angel comes back and he's like, okay, listen, we just need to ask you some clarifying questions. Um, what, uh, what translation of the Bible do you read from? And he's like, the, the Bible? I don't know what you're talking about. I, I can't even read. Like, I, I have no idea what's going on here. He's like, okay, uh, surely you know this one. What are, the, what are the Ten Commandments? In fact, we'll take it easy on you. N- name five of the Ten Commandments for us. He's like, I, I, I think my parents skipped that. I don't, I don't know what that is. Okay, explain to us the, the, the Trinity. He's like, Trinity, that girl I went to prom with? Is that her name, Trinity? I, I don't remember. He's, okay, okay. At least explain to us who Jesus is to you. And the guy's like, Jesus, I don't, I don't think I know what Jesus, oh, wait, was that the guy who was like next to me on the cross? Just like a little bit, was that his name? And eventually in frustration, the angel looks at this guy and says, on what grounds are you here? And the guy without skipping a beat looks at him and says, all I know is the guy on the cross said I could come. Our humble king, born in a manger, crucified on a sinner's cross, and eventually goes walking right on out of that grave exactly as he would predict. Our humble king who created a way back to him our humble king who who doesn't want heaven without you. Our humble king who despite our insolence and pride not only loves you, but come on, he likes you. Our humble king who despite his holiness and yet our sinfulness is still pursuing you, is never gonna give up on you. The humble king who would make the standard by which we get that right standing back with him almost unconscionably simple. Faith alone in Christ alone. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you would create a way back to you. And God, I pray for those right now who are listening and maybe experiencing your love and your presence and your pursuit right now in a way that they never have before. I pray, God, that they would lay aside what comes so natural to each of us, that pride and that ego, and they would maybe for the first time in their lives turn and face towards you, go running into your loving arms. I thank you, God, that you did make that standard so simple, that it can be as simple as those who are watching right now simply saying, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know that I can't get it together on my own, but I believe that you sent your one and only son down to this earth for me, that you would have sent him if it was just me. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for my rebellion. I choose to place my trust in your son, Jesus, born in a manger, put to death on a cross, but rose from the grave. I put my faith in that Jesus, and from this day forward, I choose to live for him. It's in your precious saving name that we pray, amen. We wanna ask you that if you did just pray that prayer, that if you put your faith in Jesus here today, this amazing Christmas season that you would right now uh, text a faith decision to 94,000. And what that will do uh, is that will get you plugged in here with this local faith community. Uh, this is a journey that we're not called to walk alone, but alongside other people who are also pursuing Jesus. So we would love it if you would take that step again, text faith decision to 94,000. Uh, as again, today on this beautiful Christmas season, we get to celebrate again our humble King.